thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And our beautiful Kimmy is on a plane right now to Dubai. So unfortunately, she can't tune in. She's somewhere over the Pacific somewhere, I'm sure. Is it the Pacific, Cindy? I think she's going the Indian. The Indian Ocean. Unless she's going the long way, Karen, I think she's on the Indian Ocean. You know what? I really skipped class a lot in geography. Just let me say that. (laughs) The reason I know oceans is because I like to swim in every ocean. Uh, I've done the Pacific, the Indian, the Atlantic, the Northern Ocean. Um, the Southern Ocean. I just try to do them all, and that's why I know where they are. Oh, go you. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, actually, that's quite, it's quite um, fortuitous, fortuitous that you should um, be talking about your beautiful ocean swims and really, you know, loving every moment of it. Because one of the things that we're talking about today on our podcast is about the combination of... Um, how our bodies respond when we when we apply all the different components of health and well-being and then we introduce different um, foreign objects like perhaps breast implants and then we combine that with an environment that already is pre-existing and we have an amazing woman on our show with us today the beautiful Alicia Hapgood now Alicia is a naturopath and she's a specialist in working with people when it comes to their health and their well-being. But today we're specifically focusing in on breast implants and some of the um, complications that occur when people get breast implants. So welcome to the show, Alicia. It's an absolute treat to share the next hour with you. Thank you for being a part of the show with us. Thank you, Karen. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. So, Cindy, you came across Alicia. Yeah, look, it's really interesting, Alicia, because uh, um, I'm from, you know, the 80s. I had my children in the late 80s and early 90s, and a lot of my girlfriends had breast implants right after they had their babies. And as far as I know, they still have their breast implants and they're not having problems. But what I am seeing is that those that have had their breast impl- implants in the last decade are really having some serious problems. In fact, two people in my office have had them both removed because they knew immediately, you know, within a very short period of time that they were making them sick and um, the dramatic results that they got after they uh, got rid of them. So my first question to you is, have the breast implants changed from when my girlfriends got them in the 80s and 90s to in this last decade or the last eight years, have they changed? Um, and if so, you know, w- or what is happening? Why are there so many people um, having these problems with breast implants and, it, and what are the problems? So it's a, a huge question, I know. <laughs> sure. 
So, okay, so the first question of, of have they changed? Well, they have changed, obviously, over time. The manufacturing, uh, manufacturer companies, they will change their product and their ingredients. Uh, but I, will, I do want to make it clear that whilst you, your experience is that some women that in your circle that you know have been fine with the older style of implants, um, we see across the board that all breast implants have the ability to cause health issues in women, not just these newer implants. Now, like you've said, we have seen a little bit of more of, a, of an increase in uh, symptoms associated with breast implants or as we like to call it breast implant illness with the the newer style gummy bear implants uh, but that is uh, but I want to make it really clear that that's not to say that those are the only plant implants that cause issues because that's not the case at all I mean back in the um, 1980s they the manufacturer Dow Corning was sued there was a civil lawsuit with um, thousands of women between 1980 and 1999 that uh, sued Dow Corning because they also got autoimmune diseases and lots of illnesses as a result of those implants. And that manufacturer no longer produces breast implants, and they're not something we need to worry about right now unless you had the old, you still have the old Dow Corning implants. But you would have to have had those implants for over 30 years now. So the likelihood of, of most people having those implants is obviously very small. Um, but these newer implants, we have seen a bit of a rise of, of issues. The problem with me being able to say this is why they're causing problems and this is why they weren't causing as many problems before uh, is that we don't know the exact ingredients in these implants. We, there is a patent protection for these manufacturing companies and they do not have to disclose the exact ingredients. We have a brief over, overview and an idea of the ingredients of these implants and these ingredients range um, from, excuse me, <clears throat> uh, from platinum, lead, mercury, um, biotoxins, from neurotoxins. Um, there's a huge list. If you Google breast implant illness or, and, and breast implant um, uh, ingredients, you will find a huge list. Uh, even things like methyl ethyl ketone, which is a neurotoxin, toluene, acetone, benzenes, um, rubber solvents, all of those sorts of things are contained within the shell and the shell itself these implants that's diabolical i didn't know that i had I, I just i was trying to write them all down as you're you're saying it and you know i just i got stuck on stuck on the toluene because i know that you know that was something that um was in uh i think nail polish removers and mm. um people were warned not to use nail polish removers because it had toluene in it Exactly. And that's all these, this chemical soup, it, it really is, it's exactly what it is, a chemical soup of toxicity uh, is going into our bodies when we get breast implants. But, you know, uh, as uh, the receiver of breast implants, as the, the purchaser, uh, we're not made aware of these things. So we, we don't, you know, you don't go into a plastic surgeon's office and sit down and go, okay, tell me exactly what's every, every uh, detail of what's in these implants. The surgeon doesn't even know it themselves. They don't have a full list of ingredients, so they wouldn't know to even tell us. But they say, oh, this made of silicon. They're, in, they're inert. And, yes, 
they are majority made out of, out of, of silicon, but they've got these um, siloxane polymers, um, also called siloxane monomers, also contained within uh, this silicon. And those are just themselves are endocrine disrupting. So they um, disrupt the uh, immune system and also the hormonal system. Oh, what about the saline ones? So I remember one of my friends um, got saline, but they did explode and or deflate, and she ended up getting silicon. So is saline still exist today? Um, and what about them? Are they as toxic or...? So the saline breast implants have their own issues. They have similar issues uh, toxicity-wise because whilst the inside, the filling of these implants, the saline implants, are saline solution, the outside is still silicon. There's mm. still the silicon monomers, still the, the monomers that are contained within the shell. So uh, regardless, um, these saline implants can also cause their own host of issues. Now, the saline implants they have valves on them. Uh, in Australia, saline is not used as much in the, as, as they are in the US. Uh, for some reason, plastic surgeons just like to use the, the, the silicon ones here. Uh, I think because they've probably got a slightly less rupture rate than, um, than the saline. But the saline, what happens is they've, you, can, you can have saline implants with an open or enclosed valve on, on the actual implant. And usually the saline implants go in empty as a shell. They, go, they put them in as a shell into the body. That means that you can usually have a smaller incision uh, with the saline implant. So it's you know, beneficial cosmetically. So they go in empty and then the plastic surgeon will pump a saline solution into the implant and expand it to the amount of cc's uh, that, that the patient would like that it's agreed on. Uh, but what happens is that sometimes these valves can become leaky and then they will transfer fluid from inside the capsule and from the actual implant back into the capsule and it can cause... Uh, a lot of times a mold or a biofilm within the implant. So you'll see photos of, uh, of these little black floaty things floating around in the, in the saline solution. And that's actually mold. It's a fungus that's growing in these implants. And it's not only growing inside the implant, it's also growing inside the, the um, uh, what do we call it? The capsule of the implant. So, the, every woman's body creates a capsule around the implant, whether that is a silicon or a saline, it doesn't matter. Uh, the body will produce this capsule that's basically like a scar tissue uh, that the body makes to protect itself from the foreign object. So whether you're sick or you're not sick, doesn't matter. Everyone will create this capsule, some thicker than, than others. And what can happen is that you can have this um, intracapsular exchange of fluid from the saline implants going on. It's incredible, absolutely incredible that this is all happening when we do it. Now, I know that um, actually before we go into that, how did you get into wanting to know more about this and understand about this, were you getting clients that were coming in um, with what do you call it, breast implant illness? Uh, so my story about how I went down this path of, of treating women with breast implant illness is because that's something I've experienced myself. 
I had breast implants. I put them in when I was 22. So I felt fine for about four months after surgery. And after four months, I got chronic fatigue. And I was very, very healthy before all of this. I had no health issues, nothing major, cold and flu every now and then. Uh, other than that, I was, I was very health conscious, exercising most days, and I felt really good. So I got my, got my breast implants and I was really happy. Uh, you know, the surgery went perfect. There were no infection, no nothing. Everything was great. Really good, well, uh, well-known, reputable surgeon in Sydney. So everything went as planned, but then I got really sick. And, and not just the chronic fatigue. That was just the, one of the first uh, symptoms. I also experienced uh, brain fog, a lot of cognitive dysfunction. I couldn't concentrate properly. My, properly. my memory was shot. I was experiencing um, a neuralgia-type uh, issue with my, my limbs, a numbness, a pins and needles, a tingling, a post-nasal drip and constant sinusitis. And that didn't go away until explant. The sinusitis was just chronic constant. Uh, hormonal imbalances. I had food intolerances, gut issues. I developed hyperthyroidism, so autoimmune disease, my thyroid. Uh, the list goes on. I had systemic inflammation, weight issues, which I never had, all these problems. And they only started once I got breast implants put in. So that's how I got into um, finding out what was going on. I mean, I was like, what is going on? Everyone's saying, oh, you know, breast implants are inert. They're fine. They don't cause issues. It's not your breast implants because that was a, the common denominator. That's the only thing that changed in my life was having surgery and ha having implants put into my body. So I did some digging about... Um, a year or two, two years into having my implants and I found out about breast implant illness or these other women, hundreds of them online also talking about having exactly the same symptoms as me and, and a whole host of other ones. And I was like, wow, could it be my implants? And I was very skeptical because at first it's like, well, am, am I really going to remove these implants? They look fine. Everything's good. I've got no complications. What if it's not the implants? You know, what if it's something else? So I was very hesitant to go ahead and explant and have surgery. But I, being a naturopath, I'm, you know, I've done everything to try and get myself feeling better. I you know, did diet after diet and supplements and herbal medicine. And, and you know, I practiced yoga. I'm also a yoga teacher. And all the mind-body stuff you can think of, I did it. I, I also did acupuncture, um, chiropractic, any, all these this any um, traditional therapies. I also went to mainstream as specialists. I took drugs as well. So I did everything. Nothing seemed to work. And I was about 50% better using all of my natural therapies. You know, I felt the fatigue was a little bit better. My symptoms were improving, but I never felt like I used to. I was always like, what is this? What is going on? Um, so I ended up explanting and I explanted uh, about uh, close to six months now. So for me, it's not, not that long ago. And I've now made it my mission to help spread the word and to help other women also get better. And my symptoms, uh, I'm about 95% free of all of the symptoms that I had now that I've been able to heal my body and detox my body. So how many years did you have the implants in for? Six and a half years. Six and a half years. Mm. Wow. And, and you just were not sure and so you thought, 
um, you'd leave them in until you'd done everything and then when you didn't get everything the way you think you should have got it, that's when you went, right, what did you call it, explant? Explant. Explant. Right. I love yeah. it. I love yeah. it. <laughs> there is, that, that is the specific word, yeah, for, for removing implants. Um, yeah, I, I really, I tried everything. I, you name the therapy, I can almost guarantee you I've tried it or some form of it or, you know, I, I tried a lot of things. I spent a lot of money trying to repair my health, which is what a lot of these breast implant illness patients have done. They've gone, what's wrong with me? I don't know what's wrong with me. They're diagnosed with all these autoimmune diseases, all of uh, these other issues, or they're just told um, that there's, there's nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with you. Half the time the blood tests come up as false negatives or false positives. So we, we can't even say, oh, yeah, we'll get this test done and this, is, this means you have breast implant illness. There just isn't a test out there that, is, that will definitively tell us you have breast implant illness and you need to remove your implants. It doesn't exist, unfortunately. And a lot of these other tests, you might have rheumatoid arthritis symptoms, so you've got all the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, but you don't have the, um, the antibodies or the rheumatoid factor come up in your blood testing. Uh, so we see that quite quite commonly, but the doctors will still okay. We'll we'll still diagnose you with rheumatoid arthritis because that's you know, that's what you're presenting with. Um, so it is it is a very tricky one in it when it comes to diagnosing or uh, treating or figuring out if that's really even your, your issue because it's just not well known about. And your GP is not going to go, oh, do you have breast implants? And you know, it, it, maybe that's what's causing your illness. Some GPs are um, becoming a little bit more aware now just because it has been in the media a little bit more. Um, or some GPs will think like, oh, okay, for an object, maybe there is a possibility of, of, an, of a reaction here. Um, and they will agree to do uh, referrals and, and testing and, and whatnot. But the majority of you know, doctors are not taught about these things, so they wouldn't know to, to even investigate it. Alicia, I'm curious about something. I, I'm interested to know, because I have a couple of friends who have them, I have one woman who's had hers, gosh, for as long as I've known her, that would be at least 25 years now. Um, and I have another friend who got hers done last week. I've got another two girlfriends that have had theirs done in the last sort of 10 years or so. And one thing, so first question is, you know, when, um, you get any kind of surgery done, you have to sign a waiver and a disclaimer where, you know, all of the potential, um, side effects and dramas. Is this highlighted? So do people kind of go in? With an, with an understanding that there is a possibility that this could occur? To this extent, absolutely not. No. Uh, manufacturing companies in the fine print say that it may trigger uh, autoimmune disease in some women. That is in the fine print with the manufacturers. But when you actually have surgery and you make all these agreements with this plastic surgeon and the plastic surgeon is who outlines all the ramifications, obviously there's risks for surgery. Any surgery you have where general anesthetic is involved and opening the body up, there's always a risk of infection, of, of complications, and that's all standard stuff we all know about going into surgery and the plastic surgeon highlights all of those things. But no, women are not told 
if you have breast implants put into your body, there is a possibility, there is a chance that you could develop some major health issues such as XXX and X, you know, all the ones that I've, I've mentioned. No, that's definitely not, not something that is discussed with the patient. Are you allowed to see the manufacturer? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. yeah. Is there a class action against the manufacturers for what's happening right now? I believe there is. I'm not involved in a class action um, because to me, uh, you know, what's, what's done is done and I, I can't really do much to change that. Um, I'm just going to work on helping women, you know, in, in the health section. But I believe that there is a lawsuit going on, class action, but the details of that I wouldn't be able to tell you. Uh, when it comes to suing the manufacturer, it is difficult. Uh, I remember briefly speaking to a, a solicitor that is involved in it uh, in a passing conversation, and she mentioned that she has been involved, but it is a really tricky thing to put together, a really tricky case, because the manufacturers take no liability, they take no responsibility, and you sign over to say that, well, you know, we've done tests, but, you know, we don't know your underlying issues. If they cause health issues in you, then we can't be to blame. This We've, we've done our testing and we believe that, that they are safe and they are inert. They are inert. And the problem with, with the fact that there has been testing done and the FDA, um, you know, all the governing bodies in the US and Australia that are meant to regulate these, these breast implants and any devices, the problem with the, the testing and the approval process for, for these devices, these implants, is that the people who test to see if the implants are safe are the same company who makes the breast implants. So that in itself is a very big conflict of interest because they clearly have a huge financial interest, a vested interest in, in these implants. So, of course, they are going to do everything in their power to make sure that they are approved. So it is a very uh, – it's, it's, it's uh, a tricky one because uh, you don't want to say, well, you know, it's all corrupt and they're just, you know, they're passing implants and they're not safe. You know, you don't want to say that, but it would be good to see independent studies and independent companies doing, doing studies on the safety, the long-term safety of breast implants. And the, also, the other issue with these studies is that it's only been in the last, uh, what is it, the last five years or so that they've had to do long-term studies of 10 plus years. So before that, uh, they were doing studies of three years on women. So long-term effects were not studied. They, the data wasn't there. So it, it, how do we know if they were safe or they weren't safe? And a lot of women, over even over the 10 years, they drop out of the study. So you know, it's, it's so hard to, to know um, are the manufacturing companies doing the right thing? Are the regulatory agencies, are they doing the right thing? Um, yeah, it's, it's all very controversial. It feels like Groundhog Day to me, you know. <laughs> we just um, see this in medicine and, and medicine has its wonders and is amazing, don't get me wrong, but we do see this in medicine a lot. So, for instance, you know, the... Was it a 
some sort of weave that picked the pelvic floor up of women, you know. Oh, yes, having, the mesh, yeah. The mesh. They're having so much problems with that. And I can take you back to the 80s when actually it was the 70s when my um, uncles who had hemophilia, I had six uncles with hemophilia, they um, were given the gift of life when um, factor eight became available to them. So instead of them having, after a bleed, having to lay for three weeks either in a hospital to have blood transfusions or at home, um, they had this drug called factor eight. And then that was the 70s and they had absolute freedom. But by early 80s, they all had HIV and all died of AIDS mm. because of, and, they, and, you know, it's been proven that Bayer knew there was something in the, the plasma um, that they were getting the factor eight from and it was killing people, mm. it was HIV. So, you know, I, I feel like it's Groundhog Day and mm. I, I understand. I, and I want to ask you this question, Alicia. Why? Um, there's two reasons people would have breast implants, I think, I, I believe. One, they've had breast cancer and they've had their breasts removed and, you know, they're having surgery to do, you know, to get their breasts back. That You know, that's one. Yeah. Reconstruction, yeah. Or, or maybe an accident or, you know, something like that. And two is for augmentation. So... I I would I don't know what yours was for, but would it have been augmentation at twenty two? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I mean, as as a twenty two year old, I was very self conscious of my breasts, of them being very small, of of being an A cup. Um, I always saw. I mean, I, I'm definitely not shy to talk about how I felt like I had some kind of body dysmorphia going on at that age. Uh, where I really did not accept and love my body for what it was. And I was in shape. I was healthy. I looked really good. You know, I look back at photos of myself and I think, that's insane. You know, you look, you look fantastic. You're fit. You're attractive. You're, um, who cares what size your breasts are? You know, you're beautiful. You're, you know, all, all of those, but when I was 22, I was very self-conscious of how I looked. And whilst I maintained a healthy diet and I exercised and all, and all of that, I did most of that from a place of wanting to look a certain way rather than wanting to, to be healthy. So it has been a very, very long journey for me to come to a place of self-acceptance, of self-love. And of saying, yeah, I really didn't love myself. I know that I needed to work on myself on a psychological, on an emotional level. And even taking the implants out, I had, I had a lot of fear come up before the surgery of how am I going to handle this psychologically and, and emotionally? And I know that this is a huge issue for lots of other women out there. I know of other women who are sick with breast implant illness, but the idea of going back to what they had before, maybe even slightly disfigured because of the implants and the impact of the surgery, um, going back to that state or not looking the way that they want to look um, on their emotional, on their, their, psych, their um, psychological state, how that's going to impact them. The fear is too great to take the implants out. So they continue to struggle in a sort of denial. Uh, and it's really, really sad to see because 
we know that, well, why would you get breast implants in the first place if you didn't have to have reconstruction or there wasn't a medical reason for, uh, for having breast implants? Why? Out of a, a cosmetic desire, why would we need to have implants? And it all comes back to a self-worth and a self-love issue at the end of the day. Uh, it has to because otherwise you would be willing to accept and love yourself with the breasts that you had originally and you wouldn't feel the need to to do that you know and people have said to me well it's a bit the same as you know why do you need to put makeup on and why do women you know want to put lipstick on and lip liner to make their lips look bigger I'm like well yeah that's one thing but having major invasive surgery in the body body cut open um you know rather <laughs> is a little bit different and, and not really comparable to putting a little bit of lipstick on to make yourself you know your lips a little bit brighter and nicer plumper looking um, it's, it's a very invasive procedure with huge risks attached to it. So the only way that, that you would want to go through with something like that is if that they were really, um, your self image was impacting you that much on a, a psychological or an, or an emotional level is what I believe. Mm, I'm at that age where many of my friends have had breast cancer and, um, had mastectomies Mm. And some have chosen to have um, reconstruction and um, some of the reconstructions are quite amazing. Like um, my sister-in-law actually had a reconstruction from muscle. She had no silicon or implant put in. It was all, it was one breast and it was, and it, they did an amazing job with tattooing. Uh, others, you know, they've had that expansion happen and had major infections and been on antibiotics for a long time, mm. five or six months because of the, that thing they put in to expand the area mm. where the, you know, the implant will go in. And then I have others that they have two scars and are quite, are quite happy to show you. <laughs> I have one very funny girlfriend, you know, she swims with me and you know, there's just two scars there. So she just takes her togs off after the swim. And, and at first all the guys were going, oh, my gosh. And then, they, and then she was like, I don't care, guys. You know, I don't have anything there. Great for her. That's, so, that's, that's amazing. That's yeah. Awesome. She was on the front pa um, paper or the front cover of a major magazine up here on the Sunshine Coast. And she, you know, I just admire her so much. And I'm, it's not that I don't admire the women that, have to go through reconstruction because that's hard too. Mm. How do you think that we can change this, that we can change young girls' perception, you know, of what is happening at the moment, like that they don't feel like they have to at 22 go out and have a, um, you know, um, augmentation because is that society? Is that self-love? Is that? what's in magazines, how, do you, how can we change this? Because I think we have to because, you know, in my um, office alone, there, I don't know there could be more with the augmentations, but I know too that I've had to have time off because they've had them taken out. Mm. It's a really tricky subject to, to approach this one because I think it does have a lot to do with our current society uh, with social media now where young women are seeing all of these quote-unquote perfect-looking women with these 
huge in these huge boobs, whether they're natural or fake, uh, you know, and there's there's these so-called perfect bodies and unfortunately we don't get to see the behind the scenes of those people's lives i mean do they they really have that perfect life do they are they really exuding happiness and satisfaction from their life from what they're doing or or are they experiencing real life struggles that a lot of us experience on a day-to-day we don't get to see those struggles with with a lot of these uh, these so-called influencers that are, that are doing these types of things that are all popular now. Uh, I think that this has been a, a major issue and the same thing as, you know, looking at uh, even television series, all of those reality shows, all, uh, you know, even the Kardashians and people wanting to have that, that hourglass body. And I really do think it is the, what would we call it? The greater consciousness in a sense of uh, we are kind of being programmed or we're programming the younger generation that this is what a female body should look like. And if your body looks different to that, uh, maybe, you know, your breasts are small or maybe one slightly bigger than the other, or, you know, maybe you put weight on in, on your hips or your stomach or wherever it is you put, you know, you have a tendency genetically to put weight on that that's wrong and that's not attractive and these 16, 17, 18, 20-year-old girls are going, well, I don't look like that. So obviously there's something wrong with me. And then they're feeling the need to, to do this. So I think on a community, on a, on a, a group world level, this really needs to change. I would love to see it change. But um, it's, I think that it's also going to come down to parenting these days because at the end of the day, uh, you know, our, our children can also take guidance, mostly take guidance from parents. And, and if they are seeing the parents doing similar things or following these influences or getting plastic surgery or doing, you know, elective procedures, then the children are going to learn from their parents. And this is going to continue to create generations of this um, lack of self-love and, it's really important to start from when they are children, from they're really young. You know, we are we are highly influential up until the age of six years old. So we are we are highly programmable up until that age, and we know that the brain keeps developing until we're around twenty six years old. We're not our brain isn't fully developed until 26. So um, we're taking in all of this information and all of this stimuli. Uh, all of this programming. So if we can start to change maybe um, how the parents are reacting to all this social media and and what's going on um, with all of this, you know, beauty industry now, then maybe we can start to see shifts in the next generation. Very wise words. <laughs> uh, and I agree wholeheartedly. I think in so many ways when it comes to the way we view ourselves as individuals, we have the recipe so wrong. Mm. And, you know, I'm sitting here listening to everything that you're describing there about, you know, breast augmentation and then, you know, the way that we view our bodies and such. And it doesn't just stop there. Because, you know, when somebody gets their boobs done, for sure they feel great about themselves, but the underlying issue of self-hatred or self-loathing doesn't actually go away. It just shows up and manifests in in a different way. 
And my concern for us, you know, amongst humanity is that, and I know that this is going to a very extreme, so forgive me everybody that's listening, but the World Health Organization is predicting that one in 20, uh, sorry, one person every 20 seconds will commit suicide mm. by 2020. At the moment, it's one person every 40 seconds. So in two years' time, the World Health Organization is anticipating that the figures will double. And wow. so that to me is not just about breast implants and I get that what we're talking about is, is breast implant illness but I think what there's another illness for us to also be addressing and that's the illness of self-loathing mm. in that it's so prolific that we're in such resistance to what's natural and to what's what what's already provided and we're so attached to the body is me that we can't we can't live with ourselves, therefore we have to change what's there. Um, and, and I think we've just, we've so got the recipe wrong. And, it, you, you, you know, you're dead right. When it comes to the, you know, our kids being influenced, they are easily influenced from the ages, you know, from zero to six, obviously. But, I mean, it's, I just, I, I, I wonder what, what can we change? Because I know that parents are doing the best that they can with what they have. Yeah, they and, definitely are. And we've got mums who are not well or mums who have picked up, you know, autoimmune issues from diet or from whatever, wherever it is, and we're all doing the best that we can. What do you think is the how when it comes to changing the recipe on, on our body image? I think that it really comes down to awareness first and foremost. I think that if we can bring more awareness to uh, all generations, especially the, the young families, um, the, the parents with kids, and like you said, everyone is doing the best they can. And, you know, I put no blame on, on parents at all because everyone is just doing, uh, you know, no one wants their kid to go through any of, of, of this and, and no one thinks that they're parenting or wants their parenting to influence any decisions that the child makes that are, that are negative, whether, and, and, and um, mental health associated. No one, no one wants any of that for their children. But I, I really believe that the first key to healing any of this and all of these issues is awareness. If we can bring more awareness to the table, more awareness of um, why we are experiencing this self-loathing, you know, lack of self-love, then if we can bring more awareness, then that's the key to start change is what I believe. Mm. Yeah, I think definitely you're right. I think awareness is key and, in terms of education, it would be just really interesting to see what education we would be providing. You know, where does it come from? What is it? How do we change the minds of generations? It's a really tricky one. Uh, I mean, I personally, I believe in things like, like psychotherapy, counselling. I believe in all, all of that. Uh, but I, I very much uh, also believe in tuning into yourself uh, and, and stopping that overactive chatter in the mind um, 
that many of us have on a day-to-day basis, that a lot of us have. So being able to tune into yourself, tune into feelings, because in practice I see a lot of people really disassociated, disconnected with their emotions, with their feelings uh, in this day and age. And when we become disconnected with that and we're constantly bombarded with uh, distractions, with social media, with television, with advertising, with whatever it is that we are being distracted by, then we end up continuing this constant unconscious chatter, which leads to things like depression and anxiety. And there are a whole host of reasons why people get this. This is just one tip of the iceberg. But if we can begin to tune in to ourself, become more conscious and present with ourself, then we can actually begin to change this uh, culture of, of self-loathing that is happening or, you know, not ex- non-acceptance um, of, of how we are. If we can live in the present moment, then that will make a huge difference to all of these younger generations. If we can start teaching our children how to um, tune in to how they're feeling and recognize those feelings rather than suppressing our emotions and our feelings, I'm, I'm a big believer in that any physical ailment always starts in the mind. There's always an emotional or psychological element to, to any physical issue that someone's experiencing. And same thing goes for depression and anxiety. There's always um, a psychological or an emotional component to that as well. So if that's not addressed, then I believe that it's going to be very difficult to address um, all of the other aspects as well. Mm, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking of um, Mona in Tasmania. It's a, um, an amazing gallery, not just art, but everything. And there's a wall of vaginas and it just shows you the difference in vaginas and I'm thinking now we need a wall of boobs so that, you know, the wall of boobs so people can see that breasts and nipples and teeth, everything is different. You know, we are not all the same and those ones of perfection have probably been augmented anyway. Mm. Um, not always because I have seen some pretty natural, amazing breasts, but then, you know, every breast is amazing because... Imagine not having those because you can't then breastfeed your babies or so I just I just think we need that awareness that breasts are very different as are vaginas and penises. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're having the birds and the bees. At the I was about to say it's <laughs> yeah. very yeah. Oh, just letting yeah. everyone know. <laughs> but we'll at least have a wall I, of poo. Sorry, what was that? Next we'll have a wall of poo. <laughs> I think yes, that's the part I'm not foreign to that. I was going to say, seriously, Alicia, we very rarely go a whole pod- podcast without somehow talking about poo. <laughs> well, you know, at the Mona, there's a poo machine. So, oh, awesome. Yeah, awesome. it's all good. How does now, that Alicia, I have a, a question for you going back to your recovery and you helping other people because. There'll be people listening to this that will be thinking, oh, my gosh, if I relate this back, that's when I had my breast implants. So 
once the breasts are removed, the breasts, the, what do you call it, the explant, once the explant's done, what, um, what happens? What do you do? Do you have to do, because you help people do this, don't you? I do. Yeah, it's definitely something that I like to focus on in my practice. So there are a number of things that can be done treatment-wise. Uh, it's quite specific as, you know, if you know much about naturopathy, we work one-on-one very much honing on, on what's exa- what exactly is going in with that person, what's going on with that person because illness manifests itself in so many different ways in, so, in different people. So it's not a, well, you, it's the same as, you know, thyroid issues or same as any autoimmune disease. Well, you've got this, so we give you this. And that's a very reductionist way of, of looking at it. So I take an individualized approach where whatever the patient is presenting with, I hone in on that. And sometimes, well, most of the time I will do a, a reasonably similar protocol just when it comes to detoxification. Uh, but depending on what's going on with that person, I will hone in and do different testing depending on what's going, you know, what specifically is going on. Some of the common things I see coming up with breast implant illness or uh, the issues that are experienced, uh, gut issues are really common. That's common in a lot of other issues, but uh, candida overgrowth is quite common or parasites or bacteria um, overgrowth. We often see things like high copper levels because we know that, uh, high copper can be a result of high estrogen or estrogen dominance in the body. And we know that uh, these implants can be endocrine disrupting, so they can cause uh, estrogen imbalances in the body. So I often have to treat copper imbalances. Uh, thyroid can come up, uh, can manifest thyroid issues in a lot of, a lot of people. I will definitely work on detoxification. So I will use certain you know, nutrients to aid detoxification. Things like um, curcumin are important, inositol cysteine to help glutathione production, choline, B vitamins, lipoic acid, taurine, milk thistle and schizandra, two herbs I, I use to assist the liver. Um, you also find that magnesium is often depleted and zinc as a result of the, the copper imbalance. So that often needs to be treated. I also see iron commonly an issue. So iron, of course, needs to be uh, treated. I had chronic low iron levels because my copper was so elevated. So I know in myself, and I've seen that manifest in lots of other patients, uh, viral infections can be really common. I, I see viral issues sometimes as a trigger for a lot of the symptoms that, that we experience because when the immune system is so dysregulated and so busy focused on trying to attack these implants, foreign object, that we are more susceptible to catching lots of viral infections and even things like Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus. So some of the ones are a little bit trickier to eliminate from the body. Uh, We are far more susceptible or we will have a dormant underlying viral infection that is is, uh, now taking over and becoming prolific based on the fact that our immune system has been weakened. 
So those are some of the things that I look for and I treat. And sometimes I will do different testing like organic acids if it's indicated, hair tissue mineral analysis to find out about the copper and the zinc and um, some of the toxic metals like the platinum, the mercury and, um, and lead and, and um those yeah so those tests can be beneficial i'd also like to mention um a test that i recommend if you still have implants and you're not sure if they're affecting you if they're causing you inflammation because we know inflammation is the precursor to disease so um there is something called thermal imaging or thermography of the body and it's a thermal camera so there's no contact no touch not like a mammogram and it can detect different uh, vascular patterns in the body and we can see if there is inflammation in the body i remember i had an image had imaging done three months before my surgery and the systemic chronic inflammation that was happening all through my body, especially through my lymphatic system, uh, it was just next level. And I went, wow, I really need to get these things out. This is causing me so many problems. So I'm actually going planning to do another imaging session to have a follow-up to see um, what it's like now that I'm you know, six months, almost six months out of surgery. So I'd like to see the difference and I plan to post on the difference because I have images of before and I'll have images of after. So if women are unsure, that could be a good visual way to detect if you have uh, an issue with your implants as well. Oh, and infrared saunas for detoxification once you take them out is also really beneficial. I find a lot of my patients get a lot of benefit uh, and symptom reduction just by using infrared saunas to eliminate the toxins from uh, out of the body through the skin. Mm. I noticed um, on your website a wonderful blog bar that says, do you know EBV, Epstein-Barr virus and breast implant illness are linked? Um, mm. And you mm. talk about what you did in order to heal, um, which was a gut healing program. Um, is that very much like the GAPS program that you did in order to heal? Um, it's not specifically the GAPS, no. It is a bit is more targeted to breast implant illness. And, again, it manifests differently in everyone. It could be, uh, you know, I mean, glutamine. We know glutamine really helps to repair the, the gut lining, the gut wall. So glutamine is often indicated. Zinc, again, probiotics uh, and then herbs or, you know, will also assist with, with that process. Uh, but gut protocol can also include things like food intolerances because if the gut has become leaky or impermeable, then we are susceptible to having an, an immune reaction to food as well. So mm. sometimes it will, for certain people, I mean, it's not indicated for everyone. Some people, they may require a food intolerance test if they're reacting to all these different foods or they feel, you know, they have gut issues associated with, with their food intake. Then I will do food intolerance testing on that to remove those fruit foods from the body for a period of time while we heal and then introduce them back slowly. That's usually the gut protocol I will do. But, it, again, it's very specific and individual to who and, and that's the thing is that everybody presents differently um, and, and even um, if, even if there's, you know, a thyroid problem or hormone problems, it could be iodine, it could be progesterone, it could be estrogen dominance. You never, you never know. So 
um, that's why having individual um, care always helps. Alicia, I want to um, say that you are a very wise, I, you're not 30 yet, are you? No, I'm 29. You're very wise. <laughs> and I, I think that what you've been through um, and what you are doing and how you change things and how you're helping other people um, is, you know, you're doing a wonderful thing there. And so congratulations. I'm just blown away by your um, information and how you're going to every part of what's happening. And that, I, this is what I'm noticing. Like I remember myself at 29. Um, while I may have been wise for that era, <laughs> it was not what you're thinking and how you're thinking. And I'm noticing um, your generation is really doing an amazing job at um, beginning to understand every aspect of health. And it's not just about going and getting medications or treating the symptom, but we're doing the mind, body, spirit. Um, you know, the whole thing is being addressed. So, I, yeah, I just want to congratulate you on that. Mm, thank you very much. This whole breast implant illness journey is been a huge learning and development curve for me. So I'm just really glad that I get to share everything I've learned along my journey to help other women. So that makes me really happy and excited that uh, others will be able to benefit out of some of the things I've gone through and maybe even prevent some women from having to go through um, these issues as well. Thank you. So let's talk about how it felt after you had the implant sound. How, how did, you know, you went in at 22 with um, your image, not, you know, your self-image and your self-love not being there. Six years on and getting them removed. Tell us how that is and how you feel about yourself and, you know, what is happening in your mind so other people can understand this from your level. Mm. So I am not going to sit here and tell you that, oh, I took them out and everything was perfect and I didn't have any episodes of being upset. or And I, I completely did. I know it was probably a, a, an effect from the side effect from the anesthetic also in my system that about a week or a little bit less than a week after explanting, I mean, the surgery is very invasive. It was quite a painful procedure. Uh, so I was on medication for that period and I'm sure that affected my psychological and emotional state but it wasn't necessary uh, you know to get through that period so I definitely had a few instances where I broke down I cried but I, I feel that that release that crying was a release on a few different levels for me it was a release and of these things are gone now, I can begin to heal. It was like a release of the pain, release of the trauma almost. Uh, it was quite cathartic to just sit and cry for, for a bit to get it all out. Uh, you know, in society we're often taught, oh, you know, it's you know, not good to cry or shouldn't cry. Or you know, it, A lot of people have those beliefs around that and I find that crying really, really helps. If I need to cry, I, I sit and I get it out. Uh, and I felt so much better after having a, a couple of sessions of, of letting it all out. Um, my, you know, mental state for a period, I thought, wow, this is a huge adjustment. I've gone from having um, D cup boobs to now being back to an a, a cup, but I also have scars on my chest. So they don't look quite as attractive as they would without scars. And I went through a period of 
oh, this doesn't look so good, you know, and also after surgery, they don't look fantastic. They, they look a little squished and, you know, not the way that they look now. They definitely have improved over time. And that's what everyone says. Give it time, give the body time to heal. And that's what I've had to do. But every time I had these, these things pop up from the past of, oh, they're not, they're not attractive and they're never going to look nice and people are going to judge you or your partner's not going to love you or your partner's not going to find you sexually attractive anymore. Uh, All of those sorts of issues that can can pop up and used to pop up in my head uh, previously that I'm not good enough. I literally just had to stop and go, okay, let's take stock for a moment. Look how much you've been through. Look how much your body has been through. And why are you having these thoughts come up right now? What's going on in you that needs validation from other people or validation from having breasts that you're good enough? What is it? So I literally journaled. I would meditate. I would meditate on it. I would sit with my feelings. I would sit with my emotions rather than I felt something come up, some sadness some grief, some anger, whatever it was that was coming up inside me during this period of healing from my surgery. Instead of grabbing my phone and going on social media and going, oh, I'm just going to distract myself and I'm going to watch some TV and um, I don't want to feel these feelings, I instead sat with it and thought, okay, Let's just let these feelings be because I know that the more I allow myself to feel something and without going into the story of it, just allowing it to be present and breathe deeply through whatever sensations I'm experiencing, they actually begin to dissipate. They begin to resolve. They begin to um, to leave my body. And every time I have feelings pop up every now and then, because I'm still not perfect, you know, no one's perfect. And I'm not going to sit here and preach to you that, Oh, I'm, you know, all hundred percent and I'm wonderful now. And I never get any thoughts. I do. I definitely have thoughts pop up, not all the time anymore. They're far and few in between these days because my, I have trained my mind to think differently about myself and my body now. So every time I would look in the mirror after surgery and think, hmm, that doesn't look very good, or, oh, there's a bit of fat here, or there's a bit, I go into that critical, that judgment type of thought pattern, I then go, oh, hang on, Alicia, no, you look damn good. Look at you. Yeah, you're curvy. Yeah, okay, you haven't been able to exercise for a few months because of surgery. Yeah, but who cares? You know, did your boyfriend leave you because you're unattractive? No, he stuck around because, and if he did, you know what? He's not worth having around anyway. That will, that shows you exactly, um, you know, if you want that person in your life or not. So uh, you really have to train that little voice inside of your head. And that's what I've had to do. Train that little voice and sit with it and go, no, that's not the way it is. That's not actually the reality. That's not the truth. The truth is that I've been through so much and I'm strong and I am beautiful and I do have a sexy body with small breasts and who gives a crap about those scars? They will fade and that's not a big deal. And and really sit there with that self-love and self-compassion and journal about it. If I feel I need to journal about it, I journal about it. I meditate. I've now been, been able to do some more yoga, some gentle yoga, and I've gone back into my um, you know, more strenuous vinyasa type yoga now, which has been fantastic for my body. And I'm slowly getting there and I'm, I'm getting my mental health on a, on a place, um, you know, to a place that's really healthy. 
So it's been a long journey and it's still a process. Every day I work on it. Every day I work on my belief systems. But the great thing about this is that you can actually change your neural pathways. So the more you talk to yourself with self-love and self-compassion and you stop with the negative thoughts, you actually rewire your brain. You rewire your neural pathways. And so it it can be really difficult, um, but I've also used things like energetic medicine to rewire and change beliefs really um, quickly and easily. I have been also implementing that into my protocol because I I very much am about the whole mind, body, spirit thing. So I I do believe that um, for me personally, I am, I am into spirituality and and I do practice um, meditation, like I mentioned and um, energetic healing so I, I do incorporate all of that, but I've been able to um, rewire my neural pathway or begin to rewire it at least so that these thoughts less and less, they, they come up now. So it's been a process, but it's been a, a very um, insightful one. And I think that that's absolutely the key. This podcast has been so informative and and you know, inspirational, no doubt, for a lot of our listeners and particularly those who have had breast implants or know people who've had breast implants, to not only just look at what's happening on a physical level but also to have a look at what's happening on a metaphysical level and to be very holistic about their approach to healing. So, Alicia, thank you so much for sharing so much of your journey and your wisdom with us today. It's been wonderful to experience the last hour with you. Thank you so much, my love. Thank you so much, Karen and Cindy. I really appreciate you having me on and I really hope that your listeners have been able to get something um, no doubt talk today. If yeah. our listeners want to follow you, Alicia, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So my social media accounts are just Alicia Have Good Naturopath, uh, both Instagram and Facebook. My website is aliciahabgoodnaturopath.com as well. I also have a Facebook group I run for breast implant illness. So if you think you have breast implant illness, you're not sure, you're curious, or you want to, or you do have it, uh, you do have the implants, and you want to learn how to heal, you can join. Uh, the group it is called Breast Implant Illness Healing Naturally by Alicia. And I just share tips, um, whole holistic you know, mind, body and spirit uh, on how you can heal, best ways to go about that. And I encourage everyone in the group to share. So it is a fairly small, intimate group at the moment. I only recently started it. So um, I'm yeah, encouraging it to become a community where we can all help each other because not everyone has access to a natural path or um, has the funds or the means to. So I would like to obviously assist as, as many people as I can. Awesome. Well, we'll also make sure that we pop those links in the show notes for everybody who's out jogging or walking or doing the grocery shopping while they're listening to this podcast. When you guys come back and you log on to our Facebook page at all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, you'll find the links there. You'll also find the links on the show notes at all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Alicia, it's been a treat and an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And for all of our listeners, we hope you've totally enjoyed today's podcast, gotten a lot out of it. And if nothing else, got some really potent questions that you can start to become more self-aware, particularly if you have experienced um, any breast implant surgery for yourself or people that you love. So join us here next week on Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we're going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. 
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.